welcome to Hudson Valley Radio Theater. We are proud to bring you the classic American comedy, Arsenic and Old Lace. Our sponsor for this production is Bannerman Castle Trust, which is dedicated to the preservation of Bannerman Castle in the Hudson Highlands State Park. Adapted from the celebrated stage play by Joseph Kesselring, this version of Arsenic and Old Lace was first presented on national radio in 1951, and it featured Hollywood and Broadway legend Boris Karloff in the role of Jonathan. He made his Broadway debut in Arsenic and Old Lace in 1941, and the play was so successful, he stayed with it for two years and returned as Jonathan, the comic villain, several times throughout his life. We are pleased to announce we have included in this broadcast our exclusive interview with Boris Karloff's daughter, Sarah. On a quiet street, under the arching elms in the town of Brooklyn, New York, the old Brewster home stands in dignified and over-decorated glory. The gas mantles are still in the hall, although electricity was invented several years ago. It's tea time, and Miss Abby Brewster pours. The minister is visiting, and Miss Abby and her nephew, Teddy, are most attentive. Won't you have another biscuit, Dr. Harper? Oh, no, Miss Abby. I always eat too many of your biscuits just to taste that lovely jam. But you haven't tried the quince, and we always put a little apple in it to take the tartness out. Won't you? We'll send you over a jar. Teddy, more tea. What? Oh, bully, bully. Miss Abby, I've been meaning to speak to you about your nephew. Yeah, Mortimer, I mean. Oh, yes, I understand he's taking Elaine to the theater again tonight. Teddy, your brother Mortimer will be here a little later. Delighted. We're so happy it's Elaine that Mortimer takes to the theater with him. Uh, Miss Abby, I'll be frank with you. I do not entirely approve of your nephew's unfortunate connection with the theater. A drama critic is constantly exposed to the theater, and I fear some of them do develop an interest in it. Well, not Mortimer. You need have no fear of that. Why, Mortimer hates the theater. Really? Oh, yes. He writes awful things about the theater. But you can't blame him, poor boy. He was so happy writing about real estate, which he really knew something about. And then they made him take this terrible night position. My, my. But as he says, the theater can't last much longer anyway. And in the meantime, it's a living. Oh no, who do you suppose that is? I'm coming, I'm coming. Oh, hello, Miss Brewster. How are you, Officer Brophy? Come in. Well, thank you. Afternoon, sir. Sire, what news have you brought me? Hurdle, I have nothing to report. Splendid. Thank you, sir. At ease. We've come for the Christmas toys, Miss Brewster. Now that's a splendid job you men do fixing toys for the children. Yeah, well, it gives us something to do when we sit around the station. You get tired of playing cards. Then you start cleaning your gun, and the first thing you know, you've shot yourself in the foot. Teddy, dear, go upstairs and get that big box from your Aunt Martha's room. Delighted. Yes, that's right, dear. 
Up the stairs. How is Mrs. Brophy today? Pneumonia. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Charge! Oh, she's better now. A little weak still. Well, I'm going to tell Sister Martha, and she'll bring you over some beef broth for her. I'll be right back. Oh, don't bother, Miss Abby. You've done so much for her already. Uh-oh. Hey, Colonel, you promised not to do that. But I have to call a cabinet meeting to get the release of those supplies. He used to do that in the middle of the night. The neighbors complained about him. Oh, he's quite harmless. Oh, sure, sure. But eh, suppose he does think he's Teddy Roosevelt. It's a shame. A nice family like this hatching a cuckoo. The grandfather made a million dollars in uh, patent medicine. Well, Officer Brophy and Dr. Harper, how nice. Well, hello, Miss Martha. I came to get the Christmas toys. Oh, yes, Teddy's Army and Navy. They wear out. Oh, you're back, Martha. How is poor Mr. Beninsky? Well, dear, it's pretty serious, I'm afraid. The doctor was there. He's going to amputate in the morning. Can we be present? No, dear, I asked him. But he said it's against the rules of, of the hospital or, or something. Oh. Oh, here's Teddy with the Army and Navy. Oh, thanks, Colonel. This will make a lot of kids happy. What's this? What's this? What's this? The USS Oregon. Oh, no, Teddy, dear. Put it back. But the Oregon goes to Australia. Oh, thank you, ma'am. Thank you again. Ten hut. Yes, sir, Colonel. Dismissed. Yes, sir. I shall retire to field headquarters. Charge! Charge the blockhouse! The blockhouse? The stairs are always San Juan Hill. Have you ever tried to persuade him he, was, he wasn't Teddy Roosevelt? Oh, no. Oh, he's so happy being Teddy Roosevelt. Once, a long time ago. Remember, Martha? We thought if he would be George Washington, it would be a change for him. But he stayed under his bed for days, and he just wouldn't be anybody. And we'd so much rather he be Mr. Roosevelt than nobody. Well, if he's happy, <clears throat> uh, I'd better be running along. Give her love to Elaine. And, and Dr. Harper, please don't think too harshly of Mortimer because he's a dramatic critic. Somebody has to do those things. Well, goodbye. Did you just have tea? Isn't it rather late? Yes, and dinner's going to be late too. So, why? Teddy! Yes, Aunt Abby? Good news for you. You're going to Panama and dig another lot for the canal. Delighted. That's bully, just bully. I shall prepare at once for the journey. Oh. Charge! 
Abby, you mean? Yes, dear. While I was out? Yes, dear. I just couldn't wait for you. I didn't know when you'd be back, and Dr. Harper was coming. But, dear, all by yourself? I'll run right downstairs and see. Oh, no, no. There wasn't time. Then where did you? Martha, look in the window seat. The window seat? Mm-hmm. Go ahead, dear. Lift the lid. Oh, Abby, Abby, isn't it just too delightful? And to think you managed it all by yourself. We're almost home, Elaine. Now make up your mind. Where do you want to go for dinner? I don't care, Mortimer, really. Well, uh, suppose we wait till after the show. Well, that would make it pretty late, won't it? <laughs> that was a little stinker we're seeing tonight. Oh, I was hoping it would be a musical. They seem to have a humanizing effect on you, darling. After a serious play, we join the proletariat in the subway, and I listen to a lecture on the drama. It wasn't until we saw a musical that you took me home in a taxi and... Noticed my legs. Elaine, uh, where could we be married in a hurry? I say, uh, tonight. Well, I'm afraid Father will insist on officiating. Oh, I'll bet your father could make even the marriage service sound pedestrian. Are you by any chance writing a review of it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, darling. Occupational disease. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. The Brewster Mansion. <sighs> Thanks. Isn't that Teddy at the door? Yes. Well, what's he doing in shorts and a sun helmet? Hello, Mortimer. How are you, Mr. President? Bully, thank you. Just bully. What news have you brought me? Just this, Mr. President. The country is squarely behind you. Yes, I know. Isn't it wonderful? Well, goodbye. Where are you off to, Teddy? Panama. Well. Uh, Panama's the cellar. He digs locks for the canal down there. Oh. You're very sweet with him. Well, Teddy always was my favorite brother. Favorite? Were there more of you? Uh, there's another brother, Jonathan. We don't talk about him. He left Brooklyn very early, by request. Uh, Jonathan was the kind of boy who liked to cut worms in two with his teeth. What became of him? I don't know. He wanted to become a surgeon like grandfather, but he wouldn't go to medical school first, and his uh, practice got him into trouble. Oh. Well... Goodbye, darling. I'll run over and say goodnight to Father. Before I go out with you, he likes to pray over me a little. Mm-hmm. I'll be right back. I'll cut across the cemetery. Hello, Mortimer. Oh, hello, Aunt Abby. Did you see my chapter on Thoreau? I wanted to show it to Elaine. No, I haven't seen it, dear. We thought you'd like a little something before you leave. Martha's getting a piece of the Lady Baltimore cake. Dr. Harper was here to, to tea. 
He's concerned about Elaine going to the theater so much. <laughs> He'd love tonight's horror. Murder will out. Oh, dear. Well, I think I'll open a bottle of wine. It'll be nice with the cake. Yeah, I can see it all now. Same old thing. When the curtain goes up, but where is that chapter? First thing you'll see, maybe in the window seat, the first thing you'll see will be a dead body. Sure, just like this one. A dead body! A dead body. There's a happy t land far, far away. Lady Baltimore cake goes nice with a little wine, don't you think, dear? And Martha? And Abby? Mm, yes, dear? You, you told me you were going to make plans for Teddy to go to that uh, sanitarium. Happy Dale? Yes, dear. It's all arranged. Teddy has to sign the papers. He's got to sign them right away. Well, you've got to know sometime. I, 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 I'm frightfully sorry, but I've got some shocking news for you. Teddy's killed a man. Nonsense, dear. There's a body in the window seat. Yes, dear. We know. Oh, well, you, you know? Now, Mortimer, just forget about it. Forget you ever saw the gentleman. Forget? We never, never dreamed you'd peek. But, but who is he? His name is Huskins. Adam Huskins. That's really all I know about him. Except that he's a Methodist. Well, what's he doing here? What happened to him? He died. Aunt Martha, men just don't get into window seats and die. No, he died first. Well, how? Oh, Mortimer, don't be so inquisitive. The gentleman died because he drank some wine with poison in it. How did the poison get in the wine? Well, we put it in the wine because it's less noticeable. When it's in tea, it has a distinct odor. You put it in the wine? Yes, and I put Mr. Hoskins in the window seat because Dr. Harper was coming. Oh, so you knew what you'd done. You, you didn't want Dr. Harper to see the body. Well, not at tea. That wouldn't have been very nice. Now you know the whole thing, Mortimer. Just forget about it. I do think Martha and I have a right to our own little secrets. Butter plates, Martha. Butter plates. Yes, of course, dear. Oh, 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 Abby, while I was out, I dropped in on Mrs. Schultz. She's much better. Yes, and she would like us to take Junior to the movies again. Well, we must do that. Tomorrow or the next day. Yes, but this time we'll go where we want to go. Junior's not going to drag me into another one of those scary pictures. Aunt Martha, Aunt Abby, what are we going to do? Well, what are we going to do about what, dear? There's a body in that window seat. Yes, Mr. Hoskins. Oh, good heavens, I can't turn you over to the police. What am I going to do? Well, for one thing, dear, stop being so excited. And for pity's sake, stop worrying. We told you to forget the whole thing. Forget? My dear Aunt Abby, can I make you realize that something has to be done? Now, Mortimer, you behave yourself. You're too old to be flying off the handle like this. No, but you can't leave him there. We don't intend to, dear. No, Teddy's down in the cellar digging the lock. You... you mean you're going to bury Mr. Hotchkiss in the cellar? Hoskins, dear. Oh, yes, of course, dear. That's what we did with the others. No, 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 you can't bury Mr. Mr. Others? The other gentleman. <laughs>
now, now, when you say others, do you mean others? More than one others? Oh, yes, dear. Let me see. This is 11, isn't it, Abby? No, dear. This makes 12. Oh, I think you're wrong, Abby. This is only 11. No, dear. Because I remember when Mr. Hoskins first came in, it occurred to me that he would make just an even dozen. Well, you really shouldn't count the first one, dear. Oh, well, I was. I was counting the first one, so that makes 12. Hello? Oh. Hello? Al? Oh, my, it's good to hear your voice. 12, 11. Al? Oh, uh, checking up? <laughs> well, I, I, I know I didn't pick up the tickets. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you called. Now get a hold of George right away. He's got to review the play for me. Yeah, yeah, I'll explain later. Now, now let's see, where were we? Twelve? Yes, Abby thinks we ought to count the first one and that makes it twelve. Well, well all right now, all right. Uh, who was the first one? Mr. Midgley, he was a Baptist. He came here looking for a room. He was such a lonely old man. All his kith and kin were dead, and it left him so forlorn and unhappy. We felt so sorry for him. And then when his heart attack came and he sat in that chair, looking so peaceful, remember, Martha? Mm-hmm. We made up our minds then and there that if we could help other lonely old men to that same peace, we would. He dropped dead right in that chair. Oh, how awful for you. Oh, no, dear. Why, it was rather like old times. Your grandfather always used to have a cadaver or two around the place. Well, I know, but... You see, Teddy had been digging in Panama, and he thought Mr. Midgley was a yellow fever victim. That meant he had to be buried immediately. So we all took him down to Panama and put him in the lock. And that's how it started. Of course, we realized we couldn't depend on that happening again, so... You remember those jars of poison that have been up on the shelves in Grandfather's laboratory all these years? Yes, and you know your Aunt Martha's knack for mixing things. You've eaten enough of her piccadilly. <laughs> well, dear, for a gallon of elderberry wine, I take one teaspoonful of arsenic, then add half a teaspoonful of strychnine, and then just a pinch of cyanide. Should have quite a kick. Yes, as a matter of fact, one of our gentlemen found time to say, how delicious. Yes, he did. Well, we'll have to get things started in the kitchen for supper. I wish you could stay, Mortimer. I'm trying out a new recipe. Uh, I couldn't eat a thing. Hello, darling. Did I keep you waiting? Hmm? Oh, it's you. Uh, you run along home, Elaine. I'll call you up tomorrow. Tomorrow? Well, you know I always call you up every day or two. <laughs> but we're going to the theater tonight. Oh, uh, no. No, we're not, Elaine. Something's come up. Uh, now you run along home. <laughs> well, what, what's happened? If, if we're going to be married... Married? Have you forgotten that not 15 minutes ago you proposed to me? I did. 
Oh, oh, yes, well, as far as I know, that's still on. Now you run along home. Listen, you can't propose to me one minute and throw me out of the house the next. Well, I'm not throwing you out of the house, darling, and will you get out of here? Don't push me. Uh, now, you get out and I'll call you in a few days. Mortimer? Mortimer! <sighs> Hello, Al. What? George is in Bermuda? Well, we'll get somebody. Uh, get the office boy. You know, the bright one. The one we don't like. All right, then. Uh, get the printer. He knows what I write. Uh, third machine from the left. Yeah, but Al, he might turn out to be another John Chapman. Yeah. All right, all right. Was that Elaine, dear? And Martha. And Abby, sit down. But Mortimer. Sit down. There. Well, dear. You can't do things like that. I don't know how to explain this to you, but it's not only against the law. It's wrong. Well, it's not a nice thing to do. People wouldn't understand. Abby, we shouldn't have told Mortimer. Well, what I mean is, well, this has developed into a very bad habit. Mortimer, we don't try to stop you doing the things you like to do. I don't see why you should interfere with us. Hello, Al. Oh, all right. Well, well, all right. I'll see the first act and tear it to pieces. All right. <laughs> now, look, I've got to go to the theater, but before I go, will you promise me something? Well, we'd have to know what it was first. Will you do this for me? What do you want us to do? Don't do anything. And I mean, don't do anything. Don't let anyone in this house... And leave Mr. Hoskins right where he is. Why? We were planning on holding services before dinner. Services? Certainly. You don't think we'd marry Mr. Hoskins without a full Methodist service, do you? Why, he was a Methodist. Well, can't that wait until I get back? Oh, then you could join us. Oh, you'll enjoy the services, especially the hymns. Remember, Martha, how beautifully Mortimer sang in the choir before his voice changed? And remember, you're not going to let anyone in this house while I'm gone. Have you got some paper? Oh, here's some stationery. Will this do? Oh, that'll be fine. I can save some time if I write my review on the way to the theater. Doctor? I'm right behind you, Johnny. Well, this is the home of my youth. Oh. As a boy, I couldn't wait to escape from this place. Now I'm glad to escape back into it. Yeah, Johnny. He's a fine hideout. The family must still live here. <laughs> There's something so unmistakably Brewster about the Brewsters.
I hope there's a fatted calf awaiting the return of the prodigal. Yeah, I'm hungry. Oh, look, Johnny, a drink. <laughs> Elderberry vine. A good omen. Here's to you, Johnny. Who's that? Who are you? What are you doing here? My Aunt Abby, Aunt Martha. It's Jonathan. You get out of here! But I'm Jonathan, your nephew, Jonathan. Oh, no, you're not. You're nothing like Jonathan, so don't pretend you are. You just get out of here. But, but Aunt Abby, I am Jonathan, and this is Dr. Einstein. And he's not Dr. Einstein either. Not Dr. Albert Einstein, Dr. Herman Einstein. His voice is like Jonathan's. How have you, have you been in an accident? No. My face. Dr. Einstein is responsible for that. He changes people's faces. Abby? Abby, I've seen that face before. Oh, do you remember when we took that little Schultz boy to the movies and I was so frightened? It was that face! Aunt Martha! Easy, Johnny, easy. Now, don't worry, ladies. As the last five years, I give Johnny three new faces. As this last one, well, I saw that picture, too, uh, just before I operated. <laughs> I was intoxicated. You see, doctor? You see what you've done to me? Even Johnny, my own family. Johnny, you're home. Uh, these are your lovely aunts. They know you. Well, Jonathan, it's been a long time. Where have you been all these years? Oh, England, South Africa, Australia, and the last five years, Chicago. Dr. Einstein and I were in business there together. Oh, we were in Chicago for the World Fair. Yes, we found Chicago awfully warm. Yeah, it got hot for us, too. <laughs> well, well, it's wonderful to be in Brooklyn again. And you, Aunt Abby, Martha, you don't look a day older. Just as I remembered you. Sweet, charming, hospitable, and dear Teddy, I remember him so high. Did he get into politics? You know, doctor, my little brother was determined to become president. Yeah? <laughs> well, Jonathan, it's, it's very nice to have seen you again. Bless you, Aunt Martha. It's good to be home again. Yes, Martha, we, we must have let what's on the stove boil over. Oh, yes, yes, of course. If you'll excuse us, Jonathan, unless you're in a hurry to go somewhere. Martha. Oh, yes, I'm coming, Abby. Well, Johnny, where do we go from here? The police have pictures of that face. I got to operate on you right away. We got to find some place for that. And we've got to find a place for Mr. Splanalzo, too. Don't waste any time on that rat. But, Johnny, we got a hot stiff on our hands. You can't leave a dead body in the rumble seat. You shouldn't have killed him, Johnny. He's a nice fellow. He give us a lift. And what happens? He said I looked like Boris Karloff. That's your work, doctor. You did that to me. Now, Johnny, we find a place somewhere. I fix you up quick. Tonight. Johnny, I, I got to eat first. I'm hungry. I'm weak. Jonathan. We're glad you remembered us and took the trouble to come in and say hello. 
but you were never happy in this house and we were never happy with you in it. So we've just come in to say goodbye. But Aunt Dabby, I promised Dr. Einstein that if ever we came to Brooklyn, I'd bring him here for one of Aunt Martha's home-cooked dinners. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm afraid there wouldn't be enough. Oh, Abby, it's a pretty good-sized pot roast. Pot roast? I think the least that we can do is... Thank you, Aunt Martha. We'll stay to dinner. Well, well, we'll hurry it along. And, and Jonathan, if you want to freshen up, why don't you use the washroom in Grandfather's old laboratory? Huh. Is that still there? Oh, yes. Come along, Martha. We're all in a hurry. Well, we get to me, anyway. Grandfather's laboratory. Hmm? Doctor, a perfect operating room. Oh, too bad we can't use it. I'll handle this. Why, this house will be our headquarters for years. Uh, you mean, oh, that would be beautiful, Johnny. This nice quiet house and those ants of yours. What sweet ladies. I love them already. I get the bags from the car. But we must wait until we're invited. And if they say no? Doctor, two helpless old ladies? Oh, <laughs> it all comes true. A beautiful dream. It's so peaceful. That's what makes this house so perfect for us. It's so peaceful. Charge! So ends the first half of Hudson Valley Radio Theater's production of Arsenic and Old Lace. In a moment, we will return to our story where you'll hear the Brewster family unravel as Mortimer lifts the lid on more than one dead body. Oh, Aunt Martha, you haven't lost any of your skill. <laughs> Why, thank you, Jonathan. And now I know you and Dr. Einstein both want to get where you're going. But, my dear aunts, I'm so full of that delicious dinner, I just can't move a muscle. Yeah, it's so nice here. Well, after all, it's, it's, it's very late. And... I found it! I found it! Did you lose something, Teddy? I found it. The story of my life, my biography. You see, here we are, both of us, President Roosevelt and General Gothels at Culebra Cut. That's me, General, and that's you. My, how I've changed. Well, you see, that picture hasn't been taken yet. We haven't even started work on the Culebra Cut. General, we will both go to Panama now to inspect the locks. No, Teddy, not to Panama. Yeah, Panama's a long way off. Nonsense. It's just down in the cellar. The cellar? Yes, we let him dig the Panama Canal in the cellar. General, as President of the United States, I demand that we inspect the locks immediately. Teddy, I think it's time you went to bed. 
I beg your pardon? Who are you? I'm Woodrow Wilson. Go to bed. No, you're not Wilson. But your face is familiar. Let me see. Ah, uh, perhaps I meet you later on on my hunting trip to Africa. Yes, yes. Uh, you look like someone I might meet in the jungle. Eddie? It's your brother Jonathan, dear. He's had his face changed. Oh, that's it. A nature faker. And perhaps you had better go to bed, Teddy. Jonathan and his friend have to go to their hotel. General Guffles? Inspect the canal. But Shani... Inspect the canal. All right, Mr. President. We go to Panama. Bully! Bully! Follow me, General. Oops. We must wear our sun helmets. It's down south, you know. Oh, of course. Well, bon voyage. Aunt Abby, I must correct your misapprehension. We have no hotel. We came directly here. This is my home. But, Jonathan, you can't stay here. Aunt Abby, you have a most distinguished guest in uh, Dr. Einstein. I'm afraid you don't appreciate his skill. <laughs> in a few weeks, you'll see me looking like a very different Jonathan. Oh, but he can't operate on you here. Oh, I forgot to tell you. We'll be turning Grandfather's laboratory into an operating room. We expect to be quite busy. Hey, hey, Johnny, Dan is the sailor. Dr. Einstein, my dear aunts have invited us to live with them. Oh, you fixed it. Well, you're sleeping here tonight. Aunt Abby, please get our room ready. But... Now. Well, come along, Martha, dear. Johnny, when I go down to the sailor, what do you think I find? What? The Panama Canal. Oh, the Panama Canal. It's a whole teddy dog, six feet long and four feet wide. Down there? And it just fits Mr. Splanauzo. <laughs> <laughs> Rather a good joke on my aunts. They're living in a house with a body buried in the cellar. <laughs> Come on, we'll bring it in through the window. Mr. Hoskins, he's been so patient in the window seat. I think Teddy had better take Mr. Hoskins downstairs right away. Abby, I will not invite Jonathan to the funeral services. Oh, no. We'll wait until they've gone to bed and then come down and hold services. The general was very pleased. He says the canal is just the right size. He says that... Teddy, Teddy... There's been another yellow fever victim. Oh, dear me. Well, this will be a shock to the general, but I'll have to tell him army regulations, you know. No, Teddy. We must keep it a secret. Yes. A state secret? Yes, a state secret. Promise? You have the word of the President of the United States. Cross my heart and hope to die. Now, Teddy, you must take the poor man down to the canal. And we'll come down later and hold services. You may announce that the president will say a few words. Where is the poor devil? 
He's in the window seat. Oh, it seems to be spreading. We've never had yellow fever there before. Oh, we go. He died for his country. Open the cellar door, Aunt Abby. Johnny, Johnny, are you out there? Wait, I'll lift up Mr. Spinalzo. Wait, I can't see you good, Johnny. It's so dark. What happened? Someone left the window seat open. I fell in. Well, get out and take Mr. Spinalzo. Oops, I lost the leg. Here. Johnny, somebody's coming. Get him in the window seat, quick. All right, all right. Give me a hand through the window. Here, here. Are you in? Yes. Miss Abby? Miss Martha? Miss Abby? It, it's so dark in here. <gasps> Who are you? Uh, Elaine Harper. I live next door. Turn on the lights, Doctor. Yeah. Who are you? Where are Miss Abby and Miss Martha? Perhaps we'd better introduce ourselves. This is Dr. Einstein. Dr. Einstein? And I suppose you're going to tell me you're born- I'm Jonathan Brewster. Oh, you're Jonathan. Oh, you've heard of me? Just this afternoon. Well, I'll be running along home now. Oh, no. I think she's dangerous. She's seen us. Let her go, Johnny. She saw us. Remember that? Stay away from me! Take your hands off me! Oh! Oh, Teddy! It's going to be a private funeral. Teddy! Tell these men who I am! Please! What? Oh, that's my daughter, Alice. Oh, no! Charge! Doctor! Your handkerchief! Oh! No, no! Help! Help! Get her down to the cellar, quick! Right this way. Uh, come, please. What's going on down there? What are you doing? We caught a burglar, a sneak thief. Go back to your room. Look out, Johnny. She got away. Let go of me. Elaine? Mortimer! Where have you been? At the Henry Miller Theater. Who's this? This is your brother, Jonathan, and this is Dr. Einstein. Well, I know this isn't a nightmare, but what is it? I've come back home, Mortimer. Jonathan? Jonathan? No, you always were a horror, but do you have to look like one? Mortimer, have you forgotten the things I used to do to you when we were boys? Remember the times you were tied to the bedpost? The needles under your fingernails? It's Jonathan. Oh, I remember. I remember you as the most vicious, venomous form of animal life I ever knew. Now, don't you boys start quarreling again the minute you've seen each other. Jonathan, you're not wanted here. Now get out. Well, I'm sleeping here tonight in your room. 
Johnny, maybe we better sleep down here, hmm? On the window seat? Window seat? Window seat? Yeah, the window seat. Oh, the window seat. Well, uh, maybe I'd better sleep down here. Oh, we wouldn't trouble you. We insist on sleeping down here. Doctor, we'll go up and get our bags. You can have the room in a moment, Mortimer. Mortimer! What's the matter with you, dear? I've almost been killed. You've almost been... Abby? Martha? Oh, no. It was Jonathan. He mistook her for a sneak thief. Would you like some coffee, dear? Oh, great idea. Coffee, sandwiches. I haven't had any dinner. Well, we'll get it ready. Come on, Abby. Uh, no wine? No, no wine, dear. Oh, I, I'm sorry I'm so late, Elaine, but, but it's after 12, and I, uh... 12! Elaine, you've got to go home. What? Mortimer, I want to know where I stand. Do you love me? I love you very much, Elaine. I love you so much I can't marry you. Have you suddenly gone crazy? Well, I don't think so, but it's just a matter of time. You see, insanity runs in my family. Why, it practically gallops. Now, just because Teddy is a little... No, 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 no. It goes way back. Like the first Brewster, the one who came over on the Mayflower. <laughs> but darling, this doesn't prove you're crazy. Look at your aunts. They're Brewsters, aren't they? And the sanest, sweetest people I have ever known. Well, even they have their peculiarities. <laughs> Mortimer, you're not even looking at me. Come away from that window seat. Yeah, right away, Elaine. Ah! Another one. Elaine, you've got to go. Something very important has just come up. Up? Up from where? We're alone here together. Elaine, if you love me, will you get the devil out of here? Mortimer, will you kiss me goodnight? Why, of course, darling. Quickly. Mmm. Well, good night, dear. I'll call you in a day or two. You. You critic! Aunt Martha! Aunt Abby, come in here! Yes, dear. What is it? Oh, uh, where's Elaine? You promised me... You... Who is that in the window seat? No one, dear. Look! And it is not Mr. Hoskins. Well, who can that be? Are you trying to tell me you've never seen that man before? I certainly am. Now, Aunt Abby, don't try to get out of this. That's another of your gentlemen. Mortimer, how can you say such a thing? That man is an imposter. And if he came here to be buried in our cellar, he's mistaken. But, Aunt Abby, you put Mr. Hoskins in the window seat. Now, this man couldn't have just gotten the idea from him. By the way, where is Mr. Hoskins? In Panama, waiting for the services, poor dear. We haven't had a minute with Jonathan in the house. Oh dear, we always wanted to have a double funeral, but, but I will not read services over a total stranger. A stranger? And Abby, how can I believe you? There are 12 men down in the cellar and you admit you poisoned them. Yes, I did. But you don't think I'd stoop to telling a fib? <laughs> Thank you. 
Jonathan, I want a word with you. And Abby, Aunt Martha, I think Jonathan is leaving at once. Oh no, Mortimer. Oh yes, and you're taking your cold companion with you from the window seat. The window seat? You're my brother and I'm going to give you a chance to get away. And if you don't take it, I'm going to call the police. Mortimer, remember? What happened to Mr. Spinalzo can happen to you too. Oh dear, come in. Why, Officer Brophy. Hello, Miss Martha, Miss Abby. I saw your lights on and I thought there might be sickness in the family. Oh, come in, come in, officer. This is my brother, Jonathan. Oh, hey. He looks familiar. Ain't I seen him somewhere? I don't think so. Yes, it's too bad Jonathan can't stay, isn't it? Well, if everything's all right. Oh, don't, 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 don't go, officer. Stay, have some coffee and a sandwich. Well, if you say so. We'll all go in the kitchen while Jonathan collects his things. All of his things. Come along, officer. Yeah, sure. Hey, Mr. Brewster, I've been meaning to ask you about this play I've been writing. Doctor, this affair between my brother and me has got to be settled. Now, Johnny. We're going to sleep right here tonight. With a cop in the kitchen and Mr. Spinalzo in the window seat? That's all he's got on us. So we take Mr. Spinalzo down and we dump him in the bay and come right back here. Hide the suitcase in the cellar. Come on. I think we should get out, Johnny. Johnny, come quick. What is it? That hole in the cellar? I think we've got an ace in the hole. Still here, Jonathan? I thought I told We're you. We're staying. Oh, you think I was bluffing? You think I won't tell Officer Brophy what's in the window seat? The Officer Brophy! If you tell Brophy what's in the window seat, I'll tell him what's in the cellar. The cellar? There's an elderly gentleman down there who seems to be very dead. What were you doing in the cellar? Ah, what's he doing in the cellar? No, thank you, ma'am. That's all the coffee I can drink. Oh, Mr. Brewster, I'd like to tell you about the play that I'm writing. No, 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 Brophy, no, you, you, you can't stay here. You've got to go and call in the precinct. <laughs> yeah, but, but I want to tell you about this here play. Uh, well, we'll talk about it later, uh, someplace. Later. All right. How about uh, the back room at Kelly's? Fine, fine. I'll meet you at Kelly's later. Great, great, Mr. Brewster. I'll be there. <laughs> Unless, of course, I drop dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that you, Mortimer? It's Jonathan, Aunt Abby. Mortimer went out. Where are you going? To Panama, to bury Mr. Spinalzo. But he can't stay in our cellar. There's a friend of Mortimer's downstairs waiting for him. He and Mr. Spinalzo will get along fine together. They're both dead. They must mean Mr. Hoskins. You, you know what's downstairs? Of course we do. And he's no friend of Mortimer's. He's one of our gentlemen. Your gentlemen? 
Besides, there's no room for Mr. Spinozo. The cellar's crowded already. Crowded? With what? There are twelve graves down there now. Twelve graves? Yes. That leaves very little room, and we're going to need it. You, you mean you and Aunt Martha have murdered? Murdered? Certainly not. It's one of our charities. So you just take your Mr. Spinaldo out of there. You've done that here in this house, and you've buried them down there? Shani, we've been chased all over the world. They stay right here in Brooklyn, and they do just as good as you do. What? You got 12? They've got 12. I've got 13. Uh, no, Johnny, he's 12. 13? There's Mr. Spinalzo. Yeah? Then the first one in London, two in Johannesburg, one in Sydney, one in Melbourne, two in San Francisco, one in Phoenix. Phoenix? The filling station. Oh, yeah. Three in Chicago and one in South Bend. That makes 13. Oh, but you can't count the one in South Bend. He'd die of pneumonia. He wouldn't have gotten pneumonia if I hadn't shot him. Uh, no, Johnny. You got 12, they got 12. The old ladies are just as good as you are. <laughs> oh, they are, are they? Well, that's easily taken care of. All I need is one more. That's all, just one more. Well, here I am. Mortimer, where have you been? I've been over getting a doctor's signature on Teddy's papers. Mortimer, what is the matter with you? Running around getting papers signed at a time like this. Do you know what Jonathan is doing down there? He's putting Mr. Hoskins and Mr. Spinozo in together. Well, let him. Is Teddy in his room? Teddy won't be any help. You had to go and tell Jonathan about those 12 graves. If I can make Teddy responsible for those, I could protect you, don't you see? No, I don't. And we pay taxes for the police to protect us. We'll call them. But you can't. They'll find out about Mr. Hoskins and the other 12 gentlemen. Mortimer, I don't think the police will pry into our private affairs if we ask them not to. No, uh, no, you can't do this. I won't let you. Well, if Jonathan and Mr. Spinoza are not out of this house by morning, we're going to call the police. There, it's all done. Oh, Johnny, Mr. Hoskin and the Mr. Spinoza all put away neat and tidy. We're all done. Forgetting, Doctor, my brother Mortimer. Now, Johnny, Johnny, tonight we do that tomorrow, or the next day. No, tonight, now. But no, Johnny, please, I'm tired. And tomorrow I got to operate. Not tonight, Johnny. We go to bed, huh? Doctor, it's going to be done tonight. Oh, Johnny, I know that look. Okay, but the quick way, huh? This is a quick twist, like in London. <coughs> no, Doctor, this calls for something special. I think perhaps the Melbourne method. Johnny, no, not that. 
two hours, and when it was over, what? The fellow in London was just as dead as the fellow in Melbourne. Get your instruments. No, Johnny. Get them. We operate tonight, Doctor, on Brother Mortimer. My bugle, Mortimer. Hand me my bugle. No, Mr. President, just, just sign these papers. Well, I cannot sign any proclamation without consulting my cabinet. Uh, but this must be a secret. A secret proclamation? How unusual. Uh, Japan mustn't know until it's signed. <laughs> oh, Japan, eh? I'll sign it right away. I'll take it into the closet. A secret proclamation has to be signed in secret. But at once, Mr. President. I'll have to put on my signing clothes. Interviews at an end. Thank you, Mr. President. <laughs> Sign it right away. At <clears throat> Close the door, Doctor. Now, won't you sit down, Mortimer? <clears throat> Don't chew on the handkerchief. It's imported lace. <clears throat> Doctor, the curtain cord. Yeah. Mortimer, I've been away for 20 years, but every night I've dreamt of you. In London, I dreamt of you. And in Melbourne, I... There. Tight and neat. <sighs> Doctor, your instruments. We go to work. <clears throat> please, please, Johnny. For me, it's a quick way. All ready for you, Doctor. I got to have a drink. I can't do this without a drink. That wine, remember, this afternoon, where did the old lady put that? Oh, here. Elderberry wine, I split it with you. We both need a drink. Very well, doctor. We'll drink to Mortimer. <laughs> Ich Gott! Cabinet meeting on the double! That idiot! He goes next! No, not Teddy. That's where I stop. I draw the line at Teddy. Now, we've got to work fast. Yeah, yeah. The quick way, eh, Johnny? Yes, Doctor. One quick twist of the silk handkerchief. Hey, the colonel's got to stop blowing that horn. It's all right, officer. We're taking the bugle away from him. We promised the neighbors he wouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> oh, hey, Mr. Brewster. Hey, why are you all tied up? He was explaining the play he saw tonight. That's what happened to the fellow in the play. Oh, yeah? Oh, geez, they practically stole that from the second act of my play. Okay, let me tell you all about it. What you... No, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to leave you tied up this way this time. Mr. Brewster, you're going to listen to the plot. Well, you see, it starts, it starts in with me mother's dressing room where I was born. Only I ain't born yet. Then we get back to my mother. There she is, lying unconscious in her lingerie. The fiend is standing over her with an axe. There, how do you like it so far, huh, Doctor? Well, it put Johnny to sleep. 
Oh, that's only the second act. Now the third act. Johnny, Johnny, wake up. I can't wake him. What's going on in here? Johnny, Johnny, it's cops, cops. Brophy? Oh, hiya, Lieutenant. This is Mortimer Brewster. He's going to help me write my play. Did you have to tie him up to make him listen? The whole precinct is out looking for you. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. Give me the phone and untie him. Gee, Mr. Brewster, I'll have to run, I'll have to run through the third act real quick. Hello, Captain. Brophy's here. You don't have to worry. Hmm? Yeah, we found him in the Brewster house, so you can call off the big manhunt. You want us to bring him in? Manhunt? Oh, so I've been turned in, eh? Yeah, no, buddy. You've got us wrong. I suppose you and that stool pigeon brother of mine will split the reward? Reward? Grab him, Brophy. Hey, you stay still, Mac. Now, now, I'll do some turning in. There are 13 bodies buried in our cellar. Oh, yeah. I'll show you. You come down onto the cellar with me. 13 bodies. Maybe you better go down, Joe. We're with him? Not me. He looks like Boris Karloff. <laughs> Get him off me, Rooney. Get him off me. Help, help me. Get your head out of the way. Well, what do you know about that? Imagine him claiming there are 13 bodies in the cellar. Ha! Get him out of here. Yeah, I'll have to drag him by his feet. I'll take him into the kitchen. What a story. Ha! 13 bodies buried in the cellar. Sire, there are 13 bodies buried in the cellar. Who are you? I'm President Roosevelt. What is this? He's the one who blows the bugle. Oh, dear, dear me, Brother Jonathan, the yellow fever victim. Oh, no, no, Colonel, no. He's, he's a spy we caught in the White House. Well, will you get him out of here? <laughs> now, you... <laughs> didn't anybody untie you yet? Mm-mm. Here, I'll do it. <coughs> now, Lieutenant, listen to me. That crazy brother of yours has got to be put away. We don't want no more bugles blowing. Uh, yes, yes, I know. I, I have the papers right here. Teddy's going to Happydale. Uh, now, uh, about those 13 bodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine what would happen if that cockeyed story got around? And now he's starting a yellow fever scare. It's lucky I didn't fall for that story. Ha! Thirteen bodies. Uh, I beg your pardon. I'm Mr. Witherspoon of Happydale. I believe I am to pick up a gentleman. Oh, uh, Teddy. Just finished my cabinet meeting. Uh, yes, Mortimer. Mr. President, I have very good news for you. Uh, your term of office is over. Oh. oh, oh! then I start on my hunting trip to Africa, don't I? Well, who's this? Trying to get into the White House before I've moved out? Who, Teddy? 
Taft. Oh, oh, this isn't Mr. Taft, Teddy. This is Mr. Witherspoon. He's your guide for Africa. Oh, oh, bully, bully, bully. Glad to meet you, sir. Aunt Martha, Aunt Abby, I'm on my way to Africa. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, if the safari comes, tell them to wait. And Abby, Aunt Martha, this is Mr. Witherspoon from Happydale. Teddy's going with him. No, he is not. Not while we're alive. The police want him to go. He blew his bugle again. That's right, ma'am. Well, if he goes, we're going with him. Yes, we won't be separated from Teddy. But uh, we can't take sane people at Happydale. Look, will you settle this? There are still murders to be solved in Brooklyn. Yes. Oh, oh, are there? <laughs> Teddy's got to go. With the story he's telling, we have to dig up the cellar. He says there are 13 bodies buried down there. But there are 13 bodies buried in our cellar. I'll take your word for it, lady. I'm a busy man. How about it, Witherspoon? Well, uh, they'd have to be committed. Well, Teddy committed himself. Uh, can't they commit themselves? Can't they sign the papers? Well, certainly. Oh, well then, if we can go with Teddy, we'll sign the papers. Where are they? Yes, where are they? Sign them up, Witherspoon. I want to get this cleaned up. one thing. Uh, we're going to need a signature of a doctor. A, do a doctor? Oh, 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 yes, a doctor. Uh, uh, Dr. Einstein? B me? Uh, come over here. We'd like you to sign some papers. Uh, please, I must go. Oh, just come right over, doctor. But I had one time last night. I thought the doctor was going to operate on me. <laughs> oh, please, please. Uh, yes, doctor, just come right over here. Sign right here, doctor. Yes, uh, very well. I... here. There. Are you leaving us, Doctor? I think I must go now. Oh, aren't you going to wait for Jonathan? I don't think we're going to the same place. Uh, there, now. Well, everything's quite in order. Well, I'm almost relieved. I'm ready. I'm really looking forward to going. The neighborhood here is really run down, so. Well, Mortimer, we're all ready to go now. The house will be yours, and we want you to live in it. Oh, oh, no, no, Aunt Abby. This house is too full of, uh, of, uh, memories. Oh dear, but you'll need a house when you're married. Well, I'm afraid I can't ever marry Elaine. Uh, or anybody. Oh, there's something else, Mortimer. You signed her papers as uh, next of kin. Well, of course, why not? But you see, dear, you're not really a Brewster. Uh, not a Brewster? No, dear. Your mother was a widow when she came to us as a cook, and... You were born about three months afterward. 
But she was such a good cook that we didn't want to lose her, so brother married her. I'm, 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 I'm not really a Brewster. Now, don't feel badly about it, dear. Huh? Oh, oh, no, no, no. Oh, it's a tragedy, isn't it? Nobody knows who your father is. He might be anybody. You're right. You're right. Well, isn't it wonderful? He might be anybody. Elaine. Elaine, did you hear? Do you understand? I'm a bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I must really see about breakfast. Mortimer's coming over to my house. Father's gone to Philadelphia, and Mortimer and I are going to have breakfast together. Yes, I need some coffee. I've had quite a night. In that case, I should think you'd want to go to bed. I do. All right, Jonathan, come on. I'm coming, Lieutenant. Goodbye, aunties. So... This house is seeing the last of the Brewsters. Well, I can't better my record now, but neither can you. At least I have that satisfaction. The score stands even. Twelve to twelve. Jonathan always was a mean boy. Never could stand to see anybody get ahead of him. I wish we could show him he wasn't so smart. Well, uh, ladies, uh, perhaps we'd better be going. Martha. Yes, Abby? Oh, oh, yes. Uh, 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 Mr. Witherspoon, does your family live with you at Happydale? Uh, I have no family. Oh, that makes must make it, it very lonely for you. <laughs> oh, I suppose it does. Well, Martha? Mm-hmm. Hmm, Mr. Witherspoon, I think the least we could do is offer you a glass of elderberry wine. Elderberry wine? You grow your own elderberries? No, but the cemetery's full of them. Well, you don't see much elderberry wine nowadays. And I thought I had my last glass of it. Oh, no. Here it is. Well, ladies, to a long life. So concludes Hudson Valley Radio Theater's production of Arsenic and Old Lace. This broadcast features the talents of Nanette Ayers, Tricia Franklin, Dan Anderson, Peter Pius, Jessica Boyd, Will Anderson, Jim Keenan, Mike Rolfe, and David Britton. Arsenic and Old Lace was directed by me, your host and producer, Frank Marquette. And sound and audio editing was provided by Kenny Dreo. The Bannerman Castle Trust and Theater on the Road first presented the staged version of Arsenic and Old Lace on Bannerman Island in 2019. 
Bannerman Castle Trust is proud to sponsor Hudson Valley Radio Theater's production of Arsenic and Old Lace. Come visit Bannerman Island in the Hudson River for tours, plays, and special events May through October. And don't miss Theater on the Road's production of Frankenstein in 2021. For more information, visit bannermancastle.org. And now, as promised, our interview with Sarah Karloff, conducted by me, Frank Marquette, Kenny Dreo, and Jessica Boyd of Hudson Valley Radio Theater. Broadway and, and arsenic and old lace. How did that come about? <laughs> with great difficulty, actually. I, um, Howard Lindsay and Russell Krauss called my father at home and invited him to lunch. And my father thought he already knew them. And so he accepted free lunch, you know, why not? <laughs> and um, so he went to lunch and there, and um, I think it was Howard. Yeah, I think it was. It may have been Russell, I can't remember, um, was there and they sort of blindsided him by this conversation. The purpose of the lunch was to ask him to be in a Broadway play, which terrified and horrified the King of Monsters. <laughs> My father was horrified by the idea. He said, heavens no. Heavens, I, I'm absolutely not. I have no business trying to do a Broadway play. I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I do movies where you get one take, two takes, do it again, stop, <laughs> roll the cameras. I, no way. I have no business. I, I, no, I couldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I have no business even trying. What's the play about? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit about it. Well, there'd have to be at least three more important roles in the play than mine. And so they proceeded. Is that what he to said? Them. He said that. Hmm. Yeah, there'd have to be at least three more important roles in the play than mine. What's it about? So um, they told him, and he laughed. He had the most wonderful laugh when he laughed heartily. He laughed at the at the line, the line in the play, and I he said, "Oh, that's marvelous." Now, you're sure there are three more important line, the roles in the play than mine? Well, that's a wonderful line. Um, when, when are rehearsals? So they obviously talked him into at least trying to do rehearsals. But he said, you know, I, I haven't done any stage work since British Columbia. I, you know, who's in the play? So they told him, he said, oh my God, no, no, no. Those are, those are, those are, that's a stellar cast. I, you know, I know. <laughs> so of course, as it happened, he went back to New York and he started rehearsals. Well, my father had a lisp. Uh, men, men, several years ago, somebody said to me, well, what about your father's lisp? And I said, what lisp? You know, 
That's the way my father talked. He had a British accent and he had a lisp. Well, what people didn't know, he had a, a boyhood stammer. Well, when he started rehearsals, his boyhood stammer, much to his horror and dismay, came back full on. And he um, couldn't, couldn't do a thing about it. I mean, he stammered. He couldn't remember his lines. He, 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 in his words, it was an absolute disaster. He had horrendous problems with remembering his lines because he'd never, he hadn't had to. And yet he was a quick study when he was doing um, the, the, um, uh, the uh, stuff in, in, in uh, British Columbia, they do three to five plays a week and he had no problem with that. But he was terrified and he was overwhelmed by the, by the star quality of the cast and he was intimidated and he just, he blew every rehearsal. And they were so patient with him. And they say, come on, Boris, you can do this. You can do this. They were very patient. They were wonderful. And he was so appreciative. And yet time and time again, he blew the rehearsals. And so finally, I, his stammer was getting better, but his, his performance in the rehearsals was not improving to his quality. So he took himself for a walk long walk in New York. And he said, I'm letting everybody down. I'm letting the director down. I'm letting the producers down. I'm, and above all, I'm letting the, the, my cast members down. I simply am not up to this and I'm going to have to bow out. So he went back and the next morning he announced his decision that he just wasn't up to the task. He was so sorry. He wanted to do it, but he just could not do it. And they all were so disappointed and horrified and so patient. And they talked him into trying one more time. And it evidently went well enough to meet his standards and theirs that it became Broadway history. <laughs> Two years later, the play had run his course and it was a sellout every night and it, he had the time of his life. So I'm not sure, uh, I, I, I'm sure you answered this, but I just want to go back uh, for a bit. Which came first, the casting of Boris Karloff or the line in the play, you look like Boris Karloff? I think the line in the play mm -hmm. because that's, what hooked him <laughs> to try to to really give it his all and they um, left the line they left the line in the movie version although he wasn't playing his role right. in the movie version that's right he wanted to he was asked to be in the movie but uh lindsay and krauss would not release him from the play his mm. contract with the play to do the film he always regretted that he didn't, couldn't do the film. He always wanted to. Um, but if he weren't in the film, to, uh, in the play, delivering that film, ticket sales would have 
just gone through the floor. Mm-hmm. And so he had a contract and um, I guess he could have walked from it, but he wouldn't never have done that. So he didn't do the film. He but did, he- however, take the play on the road um, time and time and time again. He went out to the Pacific with it during the war. He um, went up to, um, he went, played in, in all over this country in it, and he took it up to Alaska and, and played up there um, and had the most wonderful time up there. Tell us about, um, tell about, us that story about the, uh, the Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah, in Anchorage, Anchorage, Alaska, there was a playhouse that was just getting started. They had a building fund going to build their own, um, um, finish building their own uh, playhouse. And a man by the name of Frank Brink invited my father, never dreaming that he would go all the way up to Anchorage, Alaska to, to perform with absolute amateurs in the play. And uh, my father thought, oh, I've never been to Anchorage. I've never been to Alaska. That would be fun. And so he and my stepmother went up there. They had the most wonderful trip. Um, they were uh, they, they were just treated beautifully. My father was the first equity member to set foot on a stage in Alaska. And Frank pointed, Frank Brink um, pointed that out to him and whereupon my father took off his shoes and handed them to Frank because he got such a kick out of Frank's delight in knowing that, <laughs> that he had been the first equity member to step foot on a stage. That That's was my father's story. sense of humor. Um, he, um, he, they, they just had the most delightful time up there. And um, at the end of the play, my father donated his salary to the fund that they were uh, by which they were raising money for the, this um, um, production, the, the uh, uh, playhouse up there. Uh, when Ralph Edwards horrified my father with doing This Is Your Life. Um, uh, Are you Frank on Brink, that? Yeah, Frank Brink, was I? Yes, I was on that. And You're on that Frank program, Brink, that's right. Uh-huh. Frank Brink was on that program too. And Frank told the story of my father donating his salary. And my father didn't want him to tell it. My father was very, very modest and very self-effacing. But he and my stepmother and Frank um, were, uh, uh, excuse me, Ralph and, and his wife, Barbara, were very good friends. And he had always promised, he had gotten Ralph to promise that he would never, ever, have him as um, on This Is Your Life. He'd never surprise him like that because my <laughs> father was very modest and very private, and very self-effacing. And the night that, uh, and he often went and saw the program from out front or the wings and then they'd go to dinner afterwards. And that night when he realized he was the candidate for This Is Your Life, he was horrified and he gave my he later said that my stepmother sold him out for a washer and dryer 
<laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's a great story. <laughs> um, so I know he did a television version of Arsenic and Old Lace. Yes. With Tony Randall as Mortimer. And yes. I, I found that on YouTube. Um, I think that might have been in the early 60s. I believe so. And so uh, the radio production, which we're doing, my company, Hudson Valley Radio Theater, is using the same script that was used in 1951. And that is the script that your father used. And how did he feel about, you know, trans lading the stage production into a radio production? Oh, he, he you know, he loved the play. Mm -hmm. He loved the production. And any chance he ever got to do the play and do that part, he, he, he jumped at the chance. Mm -hmm. And so he loved doing, he did a, he had a huge body of radio work. And uh, he loved radio. And so to do Arsenic on the radio, it was a dream come true, you mm. know, and he would have loved to have done the film. So any, any time he could go on the road and do Arsenic, any time he had an opportunity to, to perform Arsenic, um, he was thrilled. Um, well, one of the things that I uh, discovered in my research, when you look at radio, his body of work in radio, he did a lot of suspense dramas, and he also did some comedy shows. He, he would pop up on variety shows. He did. In, in comedy sketches. And later in life, I see that he was on the Jonathan Winter show. Yes. So and Carol he was, Burnett. He did, he did Carol Burnett? Oh, I didn't know. Oh, yeah. That. I didn't know that. Oh, he scared her in the library. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to find that clip. That oh, it's great. wonderful. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And he did... Um, you know, he did a lot of television. He played Mother Muffin um, on on television. The girl from and Uncle. When he got made up um, as Mother Muffin, he looked in the in in the uh, makeup room. He looked in the mirror and he said, oh, "I look like a two-bit whore." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. And of course, everyone, regardless of their age, they know the Grinch. Yes. How, how did that happen? Did he enjoy doing that? Oh, he loved doing that. And my father, as I said, is, was very modest, never brought his work home, never talked about his work, never talked about other actors. But one night the phone rang and he said, Sarah Jane, I've, I've done something I think is pretty good. And I thought maybe uh, you and the boys might enjoy sitting down and watching it tonight if you're not busy. <laughs> and it was the Grinch. <laughs> and people Pretty are good. still watching it. Yeah, yeah. He left and his albums? mark on Halloween and he left his mark on Christmas. And it's a f family treasure. I you love know, the uh, Grinch. My company does a dinner theater version of A Christmas Carol every year. And a few years ago, we were talking about all the actors who played Scrooge. And I have to say, your father would have made a hell of a Scrooge. Oh, he would have, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. Although he wasn't. No, he never did. I, I tried to find No, but he wasn't in real life either. <laughs> no, that, based on what you're saying, he sounds like a wonderful person. He had a lovely British sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Really a lovely sense of humor. 
Well, we are, we're, we're just really happy that you agreed to do this, Sarah. And Very it's much just so. a, a pleasure meeting you and uh, you're delightful and listening to your stories and, and bringing your father to life. I, I'm very grateful. Uh, Jessica or Kenny, do you, do you have anything? On, on the technical side of things, going from a stage actor to a film actor and a radio actor simultaneously, it had to have been to be able to keep your personality transcended through that type of media. That's something that I try to do for our work is to make sure that people know it's us. And for, for the work that your father has done, it's amazing to see how vast a library he has through diverse characters and over time, but yet you always can come back to you know who it is from his deliveries, no matter what the medium is. That's that true. It is amazing. He did, as I say, a huge body of radio work. He did a huge body of television. He had three uh, series of his own. He did um, uh, children's recordings. He did over 20 children's albums of uh, children's recordings. Uh, Hans Christian Anderson, Rudyard Kipling, you name it. And, uh, you know, in all these different mediums, uh, you still knew it was Boris Karloff, both the, mainly the voice and the inflections. Mm -hmm. uh, what wonderful casting um, for the Grinch. Um, you knew it was, you, you knew it was Boris Karloff, but he never overrode the character. Right, yeah. Um, and, and that's a gift. Oh, it really, yes, most definitely. So after Arsenic, I'm into the 1950s, your father had uh, simultaneously a, a Broadway career, uh, four or five additional plays. Four additional plays, mm -hmm. yes. After Arsenic, he, he did Peter Pan, and he loved doing that because the kids all loved coming backstage and, and trying on his hook. <laughs> so he was and he was very open to fans uh, greeting absolutely his fans. Mm -hmm. oh absolutely he understood without them that he'd be uh, you know uh, still in british columbia <laughs> and of course he was his family was all in the diplomatic uh, counselor service in england and that's what he was educated for mm -hmm. uh, and and so he was very well educated and very well read he, he was a voracious reader. He loved animals. At one time, he and my mother had 22 dogs in Beverly Hills. <laughs> and he loved gardening. Um, you know, he was the antithesis of the roles he played. <laughs> so uh, he was a, a British gentleman. <laughs> and he was, he was educated and raised in, a, in, in, in that environment. And so uh, that when in the last ten years of his life, he went back to England, and um, and was just so happy to be home again. Hmm. Um, and as I say, uh, his brothers were all in the counselor service, both in India and China. And one of his brothers was knighted for his service in China. Hmm. And my father would refer to him as my brother, the Sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Not well, taking anything too seriously <laughs> or anyone, including himself. That, that is a great way to be. It keeps you healthy mentally and physically, right? It does. It does. 
Thank you very much. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank Sarah. you so much. Thank you. I'm I'm honored. This was this wonderful. Thank you for a your good pleasure time. meeting you. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure meeting you. all of you. Thank, thank you, you for keeping um, arsenic on the road. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you for listening to Hudson Valley Radio Theater and for being a part of our world of imagination and mystery.